0: Well, welcome once again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. Our hearts are prepared for the Lord's word by the music that we hear every week, the prayer time, uh, even the announcements, the scripture reading, all of it is going, heading toward the same place. Before get into the message, I want to pass along good news that many of you Uh, already know, and that is that the Hunziker family is going to be joining us next Monday, a week from tomorrow. We have (laughs) prayed and worked. Some have worked tirelessly to make this happen, and as the Lord so often does, it's at the last minute that everything comes together. We are particularly uh, concern now that we know for sure they're coming, their visas have been issued. they will actually the visas have been approved. they will be issued this week. Pray that everything goes according to uh, that timetable because they fly out on Sunday and they're supposed to get the visas on on uh, or the passports on uh, Thursday. So uh, we are looking now for transportation and housing, one possibility transportation is that we'll lease a vehicle or we will purchase a vehicle and then sell it after they're gone for their use. But if you know, if, if this is how the body of Christ works, if you know of some housing that would work for a family of five, three bedrooms at least would be uh, would be good. And then uh, also for a vehicle that would transport uh, two adults and three teenagers around, please be in touch with Chris and Benita Pope in particular. Uh, or me, any of the staff, we would uh, just are excited to see what God is going to do with them. And by the way, might I also encourage you, you would be blessed greatly if you would invite the Hunzikers over for a meal along the way, because I've mentioned this several times before, but... Hearing believers from other countries say the same things, say the truth that we already know, but to say it in a little different way is such an encouragement from the word. So invite the Hun seekers, and of course, if they, got, they go, we have to go too. The, Alice and I need to go. So just joking. Um, so rejoice and pray as the. Hunsikers are on board to be with us for 10 months, beginning a week from tomorrow. So, uh, as I say, it it feels like this came together at the last time, at the last minute, and and God so often works that way. You've seen that over and over in your life. You just plan for something, you work for something, and Nothing seems to be falling in place, and then all of a sudden, not only does it fall in place, it all falls in place at the same time. Boom, 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 boom. Everything just, uh, it's, it's like dominoes, except it's, they're setting up instead of being knocked over. In um, and, and, and thinking about how God works in our lives, I want to ask you a question. Would you say that you are an organized person or not? Now, this, there's no right or wrong. We need all kinds, so there's no right or wrong here. Would you say you're an organized person? In other words, do you keep a calendar or not? I mean, a detailed calendar, where it's, whether it's on your phone or whether it's paper and pencil, not pen. If you, if you keep one with paper, I doubt seriously you write in it with pen. You've got pencils and erasers and all kinds of stuff. Um, you, it, it's true that one can be efficient without being effective. You want to be careful not to be too organized. It's also true that you can be effective without being tightly structured. But it can also be the case that the more structured your life is, the more flexible you're able to be. I mean, how many times have you had to miss out on opportunities with friends because you had to clean the house or or do a project that had been assigned three months earlier or uh, to balance the checkbook? On the other hand, how many times have you missed times with friends or opportunities because you were too rigid? Today's text is Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 19. As David mentioned earlier, we're nearing the end of our study in Hebrews. And chapter 13 has presented quite the challenge, how to divide the verses up. Where does one section begin, another section end? There are all kinds of ways that commentators divide chapter 13. 13 up, sometimes it's connected with chapter 12 back in the 20s verses somewhere along in there all the way through the end of the chapter. Sometimes it's 1 through 6, 1 through 8, 1 through 7, on and on and on. Uh, This may sound a bit strange to you, but, but it's not that there is a lack of structure in this chapter, but there is in fact a complex and detailed structure that allows for this to be studied and preached in lots of different ways, which increases our understanding of the overall book and what is being taught. I mean, the entire book of Hebrews is structured like this. And here at the end, we have barely begun to plumb the truth that is in this remarkable first century sermon. That is at least a partial explanation as to why there are enough prepositions in the title of this message to last you for a week at least. That would be uh, the case. Uh, as we read through our text, see if you can spot the order that God had built into his word to encourage and assist these believers whose lives bordered on chaos that included imminent, the threat of imminent persecution, the, th- the threat of imminent arrest and execution, in fact. As is our custom, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of Scripture, which is Hebrews 13, verses 7 through Nineteen. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Let me say for those of you, first, first or second time, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. I know many of you are absolutely convinced it's Paul. If I'm convinced of anything, it's probably that it's not Paul, but the author says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, the name of Jesus. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Cleansing our... Gosh, I cannot read anymore. I'm losing my... A clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray. Father, as the author of Hebrews wraps up the message and he even begins to move into somewhat of a personal give and take with his readers, we pray that our hearts would be open to the truth. We thank you for all that has gone before and how this, uh, Lord, comes uh, not only in support, but as this tremendous, uh, fruitful ending to the message. And it all is centered around Jesus. We pray that he would be exalted in our hearts and minds and in everything we say and do on this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, we've talked a lot in this year-long series about inclusios or units of thought that are bracketed by a similar word or idea. Verse 7 speaks of the relationship between the church congregation and church leaders and verse 17 does the same with a little bit different emphasis. So it would seem clear that verses 7 to 17 form a specific definite unit in in the author's thought. But then verses 17 to 19 also constitute a unit. And so you can see the challenge in in dealing with the text. What will emerge as we work our way through this passage, though, is that that Jesus is at the center as the head of the church. He was the center, you will recall, at that profound introduction in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He's going to be at the center of the benediction that we'll get to next week in verses 20 and 21. And then again, Jesus is at the center of the Bible. He is the center of the entire universe, that may suggest a pattern. I'm not sure, but there may be a pattern in there. In, in verse 7, the readers were encouraged to remember their leaders. The way this is written uh, seems to in, in indicate that the author may be referring to earlier church leaders, possibly those who had died. Maybe they had died, maybe they had not. But what, what is certain for sure is that they had finished their ministry well. That's a lot more difficult for any of us to do. It's easy. It's easy to start well. It's way more difficult to finish well. I kept thinking about Jim and Joy Acock last night as I was reading this, I, 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 or not last night, but all week long, and Kathleen McKinney and those who were finishing well. This is not a prophecy that they're going to die. Those three are going to live forever. We know that. They're going to be get there. Jim, would you preach my funeral when, when I die of an old age? Not next week. <laughs> I'd be glad to, he said. Yeah. <laughs> so, how many of you preach, Jim? How many funerals have you been a part of? 538. Just imagine that. You know what, Lee Newton, so many of you, Ted, Gail, McKinney, you were involved in ministry, you've been involved, many of you have served the Lord faithfully and continue to do so. Remember those leaders, the scripture says. Look, this is one of the reasons that you must be a part of an intergenerational body. God has a plan for the reason. It's it's why he, he structured it so that we've got older ones, we've got younger ones, we've got passion, we've got wisdom, and everything in between. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Then seemingly out of nowhere, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. No worries, there's a reason that it's in here. It's not out of context at all. In addition to connecting um, the the gospel-saturated leaders of verse 7 with the law-focused Jewish leaders in verses 9 and 10, it is one of the central themes, uh, themes of Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think back to Hebrews 11 where Moses, it was said, chose to suffer the reproach of Christ rather than to be blessed and take advantage of the riches of this age All over Hebrews, we've seen the importance of following Jesus today, today, today. And then over and over in Hebrews, our hope is anchored in eternal life, in the future. And that was made possible by Jesus' sacrifice. It was the author's way of stating the need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Can I ask you to just for a moment just to close your eyes for a moment if you would and I want to ask you as we encounter this verse really close to the first of the message how would you evaluate your relationship with Jesus now compared to what it was several years ago I mean were you like so many of the Hebrews Uh, Those who first heard Hebrews, much more passionate in earlier days, willing to suffer scorn and loss for the Lord. (laughs) But now the thrill is gone, and it's just downright difficult. It is good news to your heart that Jesus has not changed. I mean, perhaps your your hope is transferred from the forever blessing of eternal life to financial financial security or or good health or earthly relationships. And and much of that is good for us. It's not that it's bad, but if our security and hope is there. And if anything happens to that, and frankly, our hearts are troubled. Once again, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. No matter what else is wrong with your life. Jesus Christ is rock-solid, stable. He's an anchor for our souls. So if you need to, silently, in your heart, just say, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. You may be thinking... Believe what? Believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if He meets you at the point of salvation, He goes with you every step of the way. He's got a plan, it's the Father's plan. Thank you. The next section would be confusing if we had not had all that preceded it in Hebrews. Since we have come this far, we know that the author in these verses is contrasting law and gospel. Verse 9 seems a little bit strange, you know. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart all the, the innermost part of our being, for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which we have not which have not benefited those devoted to them. Um, almost certainly in context, the author is referring to ceremonially clean and unclean foods of the law. And and just think about it, the law had been a comfortable place for the people who were here in this sermon. It had been a comfortable place where they they knew what to do. It's so difficult. When you come to church, you want to be told what to do. But what Scripture offers us is Jesus. Whenever I preach a sermon about do this, do this, do this, because that's what Scripture says, man, I get the comments afterwards. Oh, that was really helpful. I get that. I understand it. We want that. Allison and I, once again, we've been on this tomorrow diet for quite a while. We're thinking about going back to the Whole30. The tomorrow diet is just not working for us. I'm I'm telling you. So when we were doing the Whole30, we knew exactly what to do. So... It's, it's helpful when they tell you, exa- and, and these people were comfortable with the law. And in fact, if you had quiet time this morning, you probably feel better about yourself than if you didn't have quiet time, if quiet time is part of your thinking at all. If you did this, this, and this this past week and didn't do this, this, and this, you feel, and, and there's a, there's under, look, scripture tells us as believers, we ought to Please the heart of God. Pursue the heart of God. And that's found in the law. But we cannot keep the law before or after we're saved apart from Jesus Christ. And the law will never ever serve as a standard by which we will be let into heaven or not. So, because it was comfortable and now they're facing persecution, these Jews, Jewish believers were thinking about reverting back to the law in order to seek to justify themselves before the Lord. Don't do it, the author wrote. Your heart should be so affixed to the gospel that the ceremonial teachings of the law should seem strange to you. I mean, those who served the tent or the Levites who served in the tabernacle in the temple had no place At the altar of Jesus. So they served in the tent and they sacrificed animals on an altar. They took blood onto an altar. Sprinkle blood. So what is he talking about? The altar. We have an altar. Well, just so you'll know, he's almost certainly not talking about the Lord's table where we receive the supper. Where we take the supper. And it's most likely not talking about a heavenly tabernacle or a tabernacle that is that exists in heaven. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in in Hebrews, the author doesn't talk about the temple; he talks about the tabernacle. And it just occurred to me why recently, when someone was saying, "You remember that that the." People who served in the temple often were not the ones who were Levites and who had been passed down this responsibility, but they were Sadducees who had bought their positions from the Romans. And so no wonder the author goes back to the tabernacle and say, this is the way God designed it, and he designed it this way for a reason, so that you could, it would all be pointing to Jesus. Uh, So... All that he's saying here, the altar refers to all that Jesus' life, trial, death, and resurrection represented. So in other words, those who seek identification with the Lord will not find it in the law. You can only find it <coughs> with Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no hope of eternal life. Well, I... reading through this scripture over and over this week, things just kept popping out to me. This morning was, I was just stuff and I'm like, no, I can't put it in, it's too late to put it in. Here's one I, I absolutely had to. Just reading the text, not reviewing the sermon, just reading the text. Even as believers, we should take heed and not seek to find encouragement and grace in our hearts on the basis of our good works. We are called to good works. We are commanded to do good works. But what happens when you do well, it's so easy very quickly to start thinking, well, pretty good lately here. Huh. Wonder if other people have noticed. Maybe I should adjust my good works a little bit so that Matt Damaris will notice them. Don't find encouragement in your heart because you've been doing well find your encouragement in Jesus nourishment for our heart should always come from him not by the keeping of the law have you noticed the beautiful order and symmetry of the gospel as we've been working our way through this text the ceremonial foods and sacrifices of the Old Testament were always pointing to Jesus. And to those who had been given the blessings of the covenant promises of God. That is the Jewish people. To Those people, God's chosen people missed the point of Jesus. They had missed the Father's plan to, to, to use the sacrifice of the Son to pay for sins. In fact, they missed it so very badly that they were the cause of Jesus' death. Uh, verses 11 to 12. Verses 11 and 12 are a clear allusion to the instructions in Leviticus 16 for the Day of Atonement, in which the animals were sacrificed, the blood was put on the altar in the Holy of Holies, and then the animals were to be taken outside the camp and burned. And the author says, in the same way Jesus was taken out of the gates of the city. Look, the Jews certainly didn't want Jesus being crucified inside the city gates. Not inside the holy city where the temple was. So they took him outside. The Romans did this ultimately. But they took him outside the gates. Shedding his blood for our sins. In the Old Testament, when the animal was sacrificed, the blood was put on the altar, the animals were taken out and burned, that paid for sins temporarily. Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice, as we've seen over and over. So this is a good time just to stop and take a breath. Does this make sense to you? I can imagine if you're just getting here, this could be quite confusing. Or maybe it's crystal clear. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, there, I see that. Or yeah, everybody knows that. I've known this for a long time. Uh, It could be that you've been here for the last year and you still don't think you know anything about Hebrews. But let me just assure you, if you've been here for a whole year, you know a whole lot more, even if you couldn't point to a single thing about what you've learned in Hebrews you know a lot more. We learn in layers. And this is just stacking up. And it all— one day it will all make sense to you. Not all makes sense. It will when we see Jesus. But one day, all of a sudden, things will sort of come into focus in your mind. And you'll be able to see how that all of the things that we've learned have been building towards something that um, God wanted you to know. So... Here's here's the ultimate lesson that God wants us to understand. Everything important in our relationship with God and in our current and future lives has Jesus at the center. The truth in Hebrews is nothing less than profound with one of the benefits for us being the strengthening of our hearts through faith. God's gracious ways that he strengthens our hearts through faith. The confidence that God has everything under control, even when all seems to be chaos around us. So, is that the point? Is there no application at all? Absolutely there is application. Way more than just knowledge. The response to which we're called is embedded in these next several verses. So rather than just listing one, two, three, four, five uh, points... Uh, let's just let the remaining verses call us to action. And if you pay close attention, you'll see that these verses actually call us first to believe and then to act. We'll begin by going outside the camp to Jesus with an eagerness to, to bear the reproach that Jesus endured. Now, you might be thinking, wait, wait, wait just a minute. Let's eagerly go outside the camp. How about let's willingly go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Jesus. That would seem to be a little more palatable if we could think of it in those terms. Well, it may be. But the call is for the heart to fully embrace the cross of Christ and, and bear the shame that Jesus bore. This past week I read an interview that was conducted with Tim Keller. I think it was Gospel Coalition, but I, I don't recall. And the, they asked him about the place that uh, Christi, Christians, Christianity and Christians currently occupy in society. And he said the research repeatedly shows that those who are devout followers of Christ, those numbers haven't changed dramatically. Uh, and it's not that people are rushing to be atheists over here although there was definite movement in that direction. But what has changed is this. The middle used to look to the Christian right or to, the, to those who were devout followers of Christ. I should not say Christian right. That puts connotations in your mind. But, but to those who were devout followers of Christ, and there was deference paid, there was respect, and and we had a lot of influence in society. Now, people are facing the other way. And that makes a big difference in the way it feels in our society. And uh, Keller didn't say this. This is my thought, but, but I, I'm certain he would think the same thing. That there is a growing animosity toward those who are considered to be extreme. It's not that the people in the middle don't believe in God. It's just that they don't believe in God like you fanatics believe in God. That's part of going to Jesus outside the camp, bearing the reproach, making Jesus the center of your life. Here's the deal. If you're following Jesus, you're not going to fit in. No matter how passionate your argument, how clever your argument for Jesus, you're not going to fit in. So it's far better to eagerly go outside the camp to Jesus than to be dragged outside the camp, moaning and groaning all the way. I mean, even if God turns the heart of our nation in revival, and oh, let's pray that he does. But even if he does, devout followers of Jesus are always going to be outside the camp. We have no lasting city here, which is why God has encouraged our hearts by telling us of the city that is to come. Seek that city, not this city. Seek that city as faithful men and women of Hebrews 11 did. Do not feather your nest in this world, but set your hopes on eternity. And live as though your true home is in heaven, not here. You can imagine how convicting this has been for me all week. Here's one of the benefits of the knowledge of Jesus' sacrifice on our our behalf. When we recognize the eternal consequences for unaddressed sins and the implications of eternal life for those of us who believe, (laughs) Well, that's cause for praise, serious praise. And wouldn't you know it, God delights in our praise. He speaks, he considers it our sacrifice. It's obvious when he speaks about Jesus' sacrifice, the sacrifice of his blood that purchased eternal life for us. That he doesn't use the term lightly. A sacrifice of praise, he calls it, when we praise the Lord in spite of what's going on around us. So this week, when you want to complain about the way that you've been treated or the way the world is going or about, the suffering that you've been called to bear, praise Him instead. Look, some of you are suffering greatly. Kathy Wells, for two weeks, has been just in a state of almost constant vertigo. Can you imagine that? Severe vertigo. And yet, Kathy is praising the Lord. She's listening to music. She's trying to hear Christian messages and and praising God. But it's not easy. Praising God doesn't look like happy, happy, happy all the time. it's, It's a heart of trust. And trust is at the, maybe one of the reasons he loves our praise so much is it indicates a heart of trust. And trust is at the heart of the response to the gospel. More than anything else, God wants you to trust Him. Quit trying to always find out what is it that God wants me to learn in this trial. Maybe just to trust Him. And when you praise Him, He considers it a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice a praise. So, ask God for a spirit of praise and then make it a point to praise him day out, day in and day out. Praise him for the stunning order of the universe and for his plan of salvation and for our lives. Don't you always, I'm always amazed when events like the Olympics are going on and and there's this stunning order and there's so many components and so many parts going on. And, and then if, if one little thing is missed, everybody criticizes, oh, well, they were not well prepared here. I, just think about the entire universe. Everything. Lots may seem chaotic in your life, but God has got it perfectly ordered. And Hebrews is saying, trust Him and you'll, your trust will be evidenced through your praise. Praise him for Jesus who went outside the camp to be discarded as a sacrifice for sin. Praise him that your home is not in this world that is so dependent upon the fickle twist and turns of fate or the assessment of others about the meaningfulness of your life. Is your life meaningful or not? I don't know. Let me check uh, social media. By the way, there'll be no social media in heaven. Your identity will be fully in Jesus. And and a big part of what he's saying to us is that his desire and command for you now is to believe that your identity right now is in Jesus. And if that's outside the camp, so be it. That is praiseworthy. In addition to the sacrifice of praise, God requires the sacrifice of our good works. Not so that he will see us and say, okay, you're good enough, I'll let you into heaven. But in response to the, in a response of gratitude for what he has done for us. In Galatians 5.14, Paul is right in the middle of talking about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit, and he says this about being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he says against such things there is no law. The law can only be fulfilled in love. We think of the law as rigid but it only happens in love and that's an attitude of the heart as well as a commitment of the will. And it's essentially the same thing that the author of Hebrews is saying here. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The sacrifice of praise may be a little more difficult to understand than this. We know it's a sacrifice, don't we? To give to people who are in need. To give them time as well as, as, well as uh, financial or material assistance. God calls us. To be generous. And this week when you're tempted to be selfish, offer the sacrifice of good works and share your goods with those who are in need. Verse 17 is not a verse I would ever choose to expound unless we were going through this particular book. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Look, it's far easier for someone other than the teaching pastor or one of the elders to say, you should submit to the church leadership than it is for us to say it. I think we have a worthy spokesperson for the command though, and ultimately that is the Holy Spirit of God who wrote the book of Hebrews. In in the context of Hebrews 13, it's a part of the order that God has designed to encourage hearts in an uncertain world. So it's, for, it's designed for the benefit of the church. And notice, the way this is written, it's not a blank check for leaders to be able to say, okay, we just think you ought to do this, this, and this, and just live any way you want. No, there's a great responsibility that's on the leaders. They're going to have to give an account for you. You won't have to give an account for them. They, we all have to give an account for ourselves. In addition, leaders have to give an account for you. We're accountable. Leaders are accountable to God both for our teaching and our behavior. So the command is to submit to the God-ordained authority of church leadership. Here's a good application of this text. Every day this next week, and then just as a, you could add this to it, to a part of your practice pray for one of the leaders of our church he's talking about elders here but we can expand that and say pray for an elder and or deacon and or ministry leader pray for the leaders of the church now some might say that this idea of obeying your leaders submitting to your leaders is downright un-american well that may be so but it's biblical Gospel-centered leaders are continually keeping watch over the souls of the flock to which God has called them to be shepherds. Keeping watch comes from a word that literally means to go without sleep. It's a serious responsibility with which the leaders have been tasked. Here's an interesting thought and a biblical one. If you make the leader's job miserable, you're not only causing them to groan, but you are seriously hurting yourself as well. I mean, you may not see how it hurts you to constantly just say, well, I don't agree with that, or promote different ideas from what the leaders are saying, but we don't see everything in this life, do we? An undercurrent of grumbling and dissension might not be known to all, but sooner or later it will be felt by all. Look, we've got amazing unity in our church right now, as far as I know. I know how Satan works though. I know what the temptations, and look, I'm just as easily used by Satan as you are. I mean, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, every one of us is capable of being that instrument in the hands of the evil one to seek to thwart the the work of God. But when you're grumbling, even with, it's it's a confined group, it's a small group of people, sooner or later, that has an impact on the entire, if you've got a problem, come to the elders. We'll hear you, laugh with you, pray with you, listen to you, maybe change the way we do things. Just don't be doing it out there. On judgment day, all will be revealed. And that should be more sobering for leaders than it should be for members. We have to give account. As the author of Hebrews asked, please pray that we will operate with clean consciences and honorable decisions and actions. All of Hebrews 13, including the spiritual authority for which church leaders are responsible, is part of God's encouragement for hearts in uncertain times. And I think that's enough for today. (laughs) Now, look, I don't like to end sermons like this, kind of like, okay, we're just going to stop now. Uh, If I have a word for young preachers, it's you're going somewhere with a sermon and you want it end stronger than you begin even. I recognize that, but here's this truth, this overwhelming truth of the gospel that calls us to believe that God has got everything under control. Ultimately, the application comes down to control. Either I'm going to seek to bring some order to my life Or I'm going to trust the one whose plan is perfectly ordered and executed even when my world seems to be spinning out of control. And that is not natural. It's just not natural to trust the Lord at that level. My instinct is to take charge and to be in control. When it's raining, do you want to be behind the wheel or somebody else behind the wheel? I want to be behind the wheel. I just want to be in control like that. Here's a better plan for taking the wheel of my life. Go eagerly outside the camp to Jesus. You won't regret it. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much that not only are you, God, our creator, but that you are our redeemer through Jesus, and that you love us enough that your world, Jesus, was crazy, well beyond anything we could ever imagine when you took upon yourself the sin of the world as the Lamb of God dying and offering life to all who would call out to Jesus. Lord, give us a heart of trust. Give us a spirit of peace and even praise so that as we look to the one who was lifted up on our behalf, that we might eagerly take up our own crosses and follow you, grateful to be a part of your plan, no matter what that may entail. Lord, make us more like Jesus. In his name, amen. Today we're going to going to Jude excuse me and stay in hebrews for our benediction and uh i like what god did here if you go down to verse 24 it says those who come from italy send you greetings i kind of like what god did there as the hunsickers will be with us next week so in the benediction now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, go in peace.